matchup. Well, how many of you knew that Psalm 110 came after Psalm 124? <laughs> we were doing this in order, and unfortunately, life came about. So anyway, we're doing Psalm 110 uh, today. So uh, I'm going to read the uh, psalm, and if you would, in honor of God's word, would you stand? A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth his strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power in holy array from the womb of dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge against the among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you that we have this psalm to show us how great and how wonderful and how saving the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is, he is the most excellent uh, Messiah, the most excellent priest, and the most excellent conquering king. Father, we pray that we will understand today just how the things that he possesses, who he is, 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 is better than any system of, of, of sacrifice or of uh, laws of ordinances, but he has fulfilled them all for us. We ask now that you bless this time together. For in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, how many of you, I know the, the young children haven't, enjoy going to meetings? You know, you go into a meeting and you talk, 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 and you come out of it, and sometimes nothing gets done. So anyway, but this is a this is a great meeting uh, uh, of Jehovah, of of uh, of the Messiah, and of David. So uh, the my points are. Uh, we'll talk about the character of the Messiah. We'll talk about the coronation and honoring by his redeemed people. And we'll talk about the conquest of the Messiah in, the, in this song. Um, there are some interesting comments or uh, counsels that took place in Scripture. And one of them was... Uh, before the foundation of the world, the Godhead, the Trinity, met and they decided the plan of redemption. Uh, God the Father, in his wisdom, laid out the plan of redemption throughout the beginning of history to the end of history. 
the son, the son willingly came and became the sacrifice for all the people who would believe. Uh, and the Holy Spirit, as we, we heard this morning, changes the hearts of those people. And it was for us that he was a willing sacrifice. Um, in, in this psalm, it's difficult in English to understand the Lord said to my Lord, sit by my right hand. Uh, so in the, if you have your Bible, you notice that the first Lord is capitalized, L-O-R-D. That is Jehovah, or that is Yahweh. And the uh, second uh, is Adonai, and that's L, small case, O-R-D. So when you, when you understand that, this makes more sense. And uh, David calls him uh, Adonai, and David was always described as a man after God's own heart. Now, this was taking place, my finger's not working anymore, in the psalm because there's a meeting of Jehovah, Adonai, and David. And wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for, to experience just like David did of meeting uh, not only God the Father, but he met God the Son. Uh, and this is just really a small glimpse into the very heart of God to see his loving plan for those who he had called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Strangely, some scholars have uh, denied that David actually wrote this psalm. But David, uh, Derek Hidner, an old British, uh, a British Old Testament scholar noted, our Lord gave full weight to David's authorship and David's words, stretching the former twice in the expression, David himself, and the latter by the comment that he was speaking in the Holy Spirit. You can find that in Mark 12 and uh, 36. This remarkable psalm is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. James Montgomery Boyce counted 27 direct quotations or indirect quotations, uh, allusions to Psalm 110 in the New Testament. Uh, remember when the Lord Jesus proposed, proposed a question to the Pharisees when they came and asked him a question, and he turned the tables on them like he usually does, and he quoted the, the first verse of the psalm, and uh, they did not answer. Uh, and they showed themselves to be duplicious and themselves to be disgraceful as a teacher of, of Israel because they did not want the people to know the truth of God. This psalm shows Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. Uh, and he is, there is none other like him. Well, the first point is the character of the Messiah. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my feet until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. As I said, it's really difficult in English to grasp the difference between the usage of Lord and Lord and Lord. Uh, so uh, if, you have, if you understand Hebrew, which I don't, remember that the cap letter 
Lord is always Jehovah or Yahweh, and that the L-O-R-D is Adonai. Um, this shows that um, Christ Jesus came into uh, this world He laid aside his, his uh, rightful glory to come into a sinful world, be born of a virgin, just like us, to grow and mature, just like us, be sinless and obedient to the Father, which we could not do ever do, be the substitutionary sacrifice in our place by death on the cross for our sin, to satisfy the justice required for the payment for sin. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrew says, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Beloved, there is a vast, eternal ocean of reconciling blood available to those who will believe in Christ's work on his behalf. In verse 1, the fact that Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, spoke to the one that David himself called Adonai, the Lord, demonstrates that both Yahweh and Adonai mentions this verse as, as are part of the triune God. James Montgomery Boyce says, here's the case of God's citing God, David citing God's word in which God tells another personage who is greater than David to sit at God's right hand until God makes that person enemies, a footstool to the person's feet. This person can only be a divine Messiah who is Jesus Christ. Sitting at the right hand of God, the right hand, he has finished, it means he has finished his work. Jesus declared at the end of his six hours on the cross, it is finished. Then he gave up his spirit as his penal substitutionary death in our place for the forgiveness of our sin on the cross to satisfy the justice of the Father. In the Old Testament times when uh, a, no, a nation conquered another nation, the conquered nation would have to come and bow down before the victors. And the victorious nation would place their feet on their necks of the conquered nation. The conquered nation knew that they were slaves of that nation. In verse 2, the Messiah's authority would not only be limited to Israel, would not be limited to Israel, it extends to the entire world, dominating all the rulers of the earth, giving him the rule over his enemies. After all, the Son was a participant along with the Father and the Holy Spirit in creating the universe. Christ Jesus is even the sustainer of this creation. From the human side, the ancestral staff of Judah is in view when the Lord declares Judah the firstborn because of the sin of Simeon, who is actually the firstborn. When, the King when King Jesus comes to reign on the earth the second time, he will be the ultimate earthly king in Jerusalem. Since there are no enemies in heaven, this refers to his earthly reign. He will rule on the throne of his father David, fulfilling the Davidic covenant promised in Isaiah 9.6, and in Zechariah 14.9. A lot of the commentaries believe the rod of his strength is the gospel. 
while he reigns on earth, the gospel will be, will be preached and some will believe and just like now, some will not believe. The coronation of the king being recognized and honored by his redeemed people. In verse 2b, your people will volunteer freely in the, in the day of your power in holy array from the womb of the dawn your youth are, are to you as the dew. So we see in verse 3, Messiah's saints will volunteer freely in service. Your heart has been changed because of salvation he has granted to you, and you will willingly come and obey and serve. Since his people have been given their sinless glorified bodies, they will gladly give themselves to his work. Since the Hebrew word, Hebrew word translated power is the word for host or army, the idea is that Messiah's people are gathered together as a willing army. They will see his holiness, his majesty, his beauty, and will come to him without hesitating. Verse 4 says that the Lord has sworn and, sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Here we're, this is the first uh, identification of Melchizedek uh, in the New Testament. Uh, uh, in verse 5, the Messiah Jesus is declared to be, by God the Father, to be a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And just who is Melchizedek? Well, you find him described in Genesis uh, 13, 24. If you, don't, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? And I might add that uh, in the, the other verses, the king that came and challenged uh, uh, Abram and, and, and Lot and took his, his family, the king of Sodom and the kings of Gomorrah were attacked. And so uh, here we hear the narrative of later we will be, we'll hear about the king of Sodom. So here we go. And I'm going to say Abraham, the, 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 the original, uh, he, it was, he was Abram until he was called Abraham later. Um, when Abraham heard that his relative Lot had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And Dan is the most northern capital or country or tribe uh, in Israel. He divided his forces against them, and by night he and his servants and defeated them. And they pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He went back, he, he brought back all the goods, brought back his relative Lot uh, with his possession, also the women and also the people. After the defeat, the defeat of Chedorlaomer, the kings who were with him in the valley of Shaphat, this is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham and said, Be blessed, Abraham, God, of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be Lord God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. With 318 men, he defeated an array of kings. So that was real evidence that it was the Lord's work. It wasn't anything that Abram did. 
Well, it says that he gave him a, ten, a, a tithe of a tenth of all. Here is the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, Have sworn to the Lord God most high that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong from anything that is yours, for fear you would say, I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing except the share that the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Esco, and Mamre. Let them take their share. This was where uh, uh, Ab Abraham, or Abram was living. Uh, he was living at the Oaks of uh, Mamre. So that's, that's why he had his friends with him. Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness and was the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. If you look at Jerusalem, look at the, look at the uh, five words at the end of it, it's Salem, uh, and which made him the king of peace, peace. There were only two people that ever held the office of king and priest together, Jesus and Melchizedek. In blessing Abraham, Melchizedek demonstrated that he was greater than the patriarch. Both Melchizedek and Abraham referred to the Lord God as El Elyon, as the God Most High. As a priest of the Most High God, Melchizedek brought and offered Abraham bread and wine, functioning as a priest. Abraham then gave Melchizedek a tithe of tenth of purse of the spoils of the battle. There's no mention of a mother or a father uh, of Melchizedek. His beginning or his end, and he appears no he appears to have no recorded uh, genealogy. Well, this led some people to believe, or some scholars to believe, that he was the pre-incarnate pre Christ. But most believe that Melchizedek was a type or a shadow of Christ. And we've learned what shadows and we've learned what uh, types are of Christ, where it's a symbol or a, a, a something that represents something greater. Well, the author of Hebrews thought this declaration was so important that he, for, he refers to it five times. Hebrews 5, 5 and 6, and Hebrews 5, verse 10, emphasizes that this was Yahweh's decision, not something Messiah claimed for himself. Hebrews 6, 6.20 declares that the priesthood of Jesus serves now forever as a living, active high priest for his people. Hebrews 7.17 emphasizes that the priesthood of Jesus, the Messiah, because he was in the order of Melchizedek, is better than the priesthood of Aaron because Christ's priesthood is eternal and will never end. Hebrews 7.21 declares Jesus' priesthood is better than Aaron's priesthood because it is based on a direct quotation from Yahweh. The goal of the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews was to show that Jesus was superior to angels, to the, the Levitical priesthood, and to any king. How Jesus is, how Je is Jesus' priesthood better than the Levitical priesthood? 
first, the, Jesus' priesthood was appointed by an oath from God the Father. Uh, they, in that decision, uh, Christ was declared Messiah. And not established by a direct communication from the Lord by Moses. While setting up the Levitical law and the book of ordinances. The priesthood of Melchizedek was not hereditary like the, the Levitical priest uh, that was, path, was passed to someone else in the tribe of Levi when that priest died. The writer of Hebrews records that Melchizedek remains a priest perpetually. Secondly, the Levitical priest had to offer up sacrifices day after day, year after year, for individual uh, Israelites. Then once a year, the high priest offered a sacrifice for himself, and then a sacrifice for the nation on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and in that sacrifice, they had two goats, a goat they sacrificed to the Lord, and a scapegoat that they sent out in the wilderness and made sure they didn't come back. Well, he had to do that too in the Holy of Holies, in a tent that was pitched and made by human hands. Christ's ministry was offered up just one time, and then he sat down on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. As the high priest in the heavenly sanctuary and the true tabernacle pitched by the Lord. Thirdly, Jesus established a new and better covenant as he was mediator of a better covenant. The, the, the purpose of the Levitical priest was to be a mediator between the nation of Israel and the Lord. The blood of bulls, goats, and lambs could not and would not ever take away sins, for they only provided a covering for sin until the suffering Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, came. But the one-time offering of the blood of Christ atoned for all the sins of all who had placed their trust in him as a payment for their sins, past, present, and future. Let me repeat that. The blood of bulls, goats, and lambs could not and would not ever take away the sins, for they only provided a covering for sin until the suffering Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, came. But the one-time offering of the blood of Christ atoned for the sins of all who would place their trust in him as payment for their sins, past, present, and future. Uh, in chapter 7 and ten, through 10 in Hebrews, uh, establishes the uh, new covenant versus the old covenant. And it is to show that the Aaronic priesthood was not, official, was not sufficient to for God to be satisfied with, his, with the justice that, that they offered up. It was only a covering. The old covering did not satisfy. The Lord's justice. But the new covenant in Christ's blood satisfied payment for sinner once for all. Let me repeat that. The new covenant by Christ satisfied God's justice but the new covenant of, of Christ's blood satisfies a payment for sin once for all times well the conquest of the Messiah verse 5 says 
The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. The Lord Jesus in his resurrected state is truly God, truly man, truly unique, was seated at the right hand of power that, it, that was given over to him. Now he stands as our mediator. Now he stands as our advocate. And when we are accused by Satan, the Lord Jesus Christ is our attorney. That's, there's no other attorney that's, that is as great as he is. Uh, in verse 5a, we see where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is led to a better battlefield where he shadows the rulers and kings of the earth of that day, with, in that day of his wrath. We will hold the, he will hold the nations and execute their judgments and fill the earth with their corpses. With the authority given to him in verse 2, he executes his judgment over all the earth, even to the most powerful rulers. Alexander McLaren writes, The choice of every man is either being crushed under his feet or being exalted to sit with him on his throne. He that overcometh to him will I give to sit down with me on my throne. Even as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You can find that in Revelation 3.21. It is better to sit on his throne than to be his footstool. The, later on in the verse it says, we will, He will drink by, from the blood by the, by the brook from the, way, the lakeside. Therefore he will lift up his head. Some have referred to that as when he drinks from the brook as his uh, humiliation, but others say uh, it's a sign of a victorious ruler, victorious ruler. Again, McLaren says, curiously, many of these commentators take this to mean as a reference to Messiah's humiliation. It is better to see his reference to refreshment on the day of battle. Psalm 110.7 is usually taken as depicting the king as pausing in his victorious pursuit of flying foes to drink while, like Gideon's men from the brook and then with a renewed vigor pressing on. Verse 7b reads, Therefore he will lift up his head. This is a sign of completed victory. Spurgeon says, his own head will be lifted up high in victory, and his people in him will be upraised also. What a glorious future awaits those in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a, a future fulfilled with hope. Some people will sit on the throne with him, but some will be crushed under his feet. Receiving the Lord's just punishment, what is your future? to be on the throne with Christ Jesus or to be under or to be on his footstool. As ambassadors for Christ, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to the triune God. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You can find that in Romans 8.1. Those who come and trust Christ will be no longer be enemies of the Lord because Christ has reconciled them to God the Father. Come to Christ and be saved, escaping the wrath of the Lord that is to come.
Remember, there's a vast, eternal ocean of Christ's reconciling blood that can never be drained dry, available to all who will believe. We beg you, come to Christ. There's a great hymn that explains just exactly what happens when you trust in Christ. He covers you with garments of salvation and his robes of righteousness. His robes for mine, O wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rays. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. His robe for mine, what cause have I to dread? God's dawning law, Christ's master in my stead. Faultless I stand with righteous works, not mine, saved by the Lord's victorious life and death. I remember uh, R.C. Sproul was referred to this morning, and uh, in his way he says, you must possess an alien righteousness. And that's what uh, that verse is talking about. His robe for mine, God's justice is appeased. Jesus is crushed, and thus the Father's pleased. Christ drank God's wrath on sin, then cried, "'Tis done, sin's wages paid, propitiation won." His robe for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ, God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. He, though as I, accursed and left alone. I, though as he, embraced and welcomed home. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken. God estranged from God. Bought by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, uh, as we see the wonderful Savior that we have, the, the most wonderful high priest that intercedes for us, mediates for us, who eventually will, will become king of kings, Lord of Lords, when he comes to reign on this earth. Father, may we grow to understand more of who he is, what he is, and how he has done for us exactly what we cannot do. Father, I thank you that he has given us garments of salvation. That he has clothed us in the robes of righteousness so we can stand before you complete, holy in righteousness before a holy, righteous God. It is something we could not do, but he has done it for us. We thank you for this psalm, and we pray that uh, as we read it again many times, that we will understand who exactly Christ is and who the Father has given to us, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that uh, you cause this psalm to make us think about who he is, what he has done, and what he is, will do for us when he comes for his church. We pray this thing in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, as Brett mentioned, uh, we want to encourage you to come and attend that membership class in the second hour because we want you to know exactly what being a member in hope is, what it entails, the doctrines that we hold to, the doctrines that we share with with other bodies of Christ that, that we may not agree with them, but we still reach out with fellowship to them. And then we know exactly what they believe that we do not believe. 
And uh, when you, you may not realize this, but you are making a covenant with this body when you uh, join this, this body. And there are certain things that we, that are expected of you. And uh, so if you're a member, we want you to come. If you're thinking about becoming a member, we want you to come. And I see everyone here is a member, just about. Uh, so uh, that'll be October 8th. And uh, then we'll, I, we haven't, I don't think, uh, Joe has decided it's going to be uh, three lessons, five lessons, 10 lessons, or 12 lessons. But no, it won't be that long. <laughs> So, but anyway, it's, it's to, to inform you exactly what we believe and uh, uh, let you know what is expected of you as a, as a member.